Good morning and welcome to Redemption North Mountain. I will be reading from Isaiah today. And anyone who doesn't have a Bible, there is one under your seat. Please use it and take it as a gift from us if you do not have one. Let's open the Blue Bibles to page 349. We will be reading Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. Israel is our only Savior. But now thus says the Lord, who, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church family. How are we doing? Good. I have a, a, just some family news that's sad and we need to be praying about. So Derek Thompson, uh, so we introduced the flugelhorn to our band a while back. That's Derek that plays that. He was in a very bad motorcycle accident. Uh, and Chandler and I went to see him. Uh, his, he's from Oregon, so his mom, dad, Tony, and Michelle. He's dating a girl from his church, Grace, who works with the tech team. Um, but yeah, it's watching a mom walk into a room where her baby boy is there is intense. So uh, I want to pray for Tony and Michelle and for healing because they still haven't figured out fully the extent of what's going on and kind of what full recovery might or will look like. So let's just close our eyes. So Derek Thompson and his parents, Tony and Michelle, his girlfriend, Grace. Just give you a little time to pray to the Lord. Father, we lift up Derek. Uh, you're the healer. You're his good, good father. Your spirit is his comforter. And Jesus is, is his savior. So uh, you were there with him. God, I pray for his family. Because they're here uh, dealing with stuff no parent ever wants to be dealing with. 
walking through pain that no parent ever can expect or plan for. So we just pray for miracles. We pray for uh, all the prayers being prayed out of Oregon and here at Phoenix and all the folks that know that family know that family. Pray that you would answer the cries of the heart of the people lifting up Derek in this time. Heal them. I pray he would look back on this as a huge testament uh, to you always being with him. And what we just read in Isaiah being true that you are his God and you're with him through anything. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right, now we're going to dive into Isaiah. So uh, full disclosure, Isaiah is a big book, and it's got a lot of stuff to talk about. It feels like my wife and I just went to D.C. a few months back, and every museum you go into is like, you could spend an hour on one wall worth of paintings or whatever. It's like, what do you do? Isaiah feels like this giant museum of God's glory and goodness and beauty. It's like, where do you camp out? In this story. So here's what we're doing in this. Isaiah 43 and 44, we're mainly going to camp out on the first seven verses because I feel like it gives us the theme of Isaiah. And here's what I think Isaiah is trying to give us here. It's sort of the refrain of the song that God's people has always been singing. So one of my biggest, it's not an insecurity, just frustration with the Lord is that he did not make me gifted musically. He made me gifted in a few ways. Music is not it at all. Like, I try, I sit up here. If you sit by me, the only people that can hear me sing in this chant are me. He's like, you're, you're right, you're not gifted. <laughs> um, but even, like, music talk. Like, I'm trying to understand when they talk about music stuff. And I want to engage, but I just, it's all over my head. Like, I just don't get any part of it. Uh, but I get this. There's something called quartz. It's a collection of notes. Willie Nelson says, to make a great song, you just need three chords and the truth. And a lot of our favorite songs are simply three chord songs with somebody singing truthful. And what I'm going to do here is walk us through what I think is God's three chord song that he's given his people. From the days of Israel to this very moment in this room, here's the three chords that God's people have always been singing. And we're going to sing them again this morning, imperfectly, but we're going to sing them loud. I'm going to hear them preached here in this moment. So that's what we're doing as we're walking through God's three chord song. So walk with me now. Here's the first chord I want to look at. Chord number one, it's called God's Redemption. Isaiah 43, verse 1 through 3. Here's the first chord. If you're going to be singing the song, that is the song of being God's people. Israel back then, Jesus followers today. Here is the first chord you need to make this music worthwhile. Let's read verse 1 through 3 together. Miss Beverly just read. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Siva in exchange for you. Listen to the words being used to describe the action in this. God created you. He forms you. He redeems you. He calls you by name. And now he is with you through it all addiction, or sitting in a hospital room with your son. I'm with you. Who is the main character in this song being sung? It is simply God. None of these verbs describe what we have done. 
God creates, God forms, God redeems, God calls, and God is with you. Like, God is the main character. He's the main character. I've told this story before, but it, it illustrates the point. I have a great friend in Texas. He's kind of a goofy guy. He's always doing random stuff. One of the random things he did is he was an extra in a movie. I'm like, oh, I'd love to see that movie. And it wasn't just any movie. It was the classic movie that we all have. We've seen multiple times. Bring it on to competitive cheerleading <laughs> sequel. And sweet old Rob Clark is just a 40-year-old bald man in a crowd during one of these performances. And I watch it, and I watch it looking for Rob Clark, and I miss the entire story of Bring It On, which is a deep, rich story <laughs> of God. All of us flinch towards living our life looking at the extras of the story. And we miss the main character. Who's the main character? It is he who creates, forms, redeems, and calls you by name. He's the main character. And specifically, what is he doing? I want to read again. Verse one, uh, verse 1, in the middle, it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. This is the song, this is the story that's the soundtrack for Israel. It's always being sung in the background. It's always being played. Like, I don't know what your soundtrack is in your home or what it was growing up or what stories or songs, like, fill the background noise of your home. But if you were a Jew back in this day, the song that you sung and your parents sung and your grandparents sung and kids sung and you danced and walked and sang and celebrated and had festivals was the song that sang this, I have been redeemed. He has called me by name. I am Mine. For Israel, this was their story, a redemption story. Specifically, there's like major stories of redemption. The first one is the Exodus, one that they've already lived through, which we're going to walk through here in a moment. And then the current one they're in, in this time period, in this book, the story of redemption from Babylon. Now, they're now, same story, foreign land, lots of troubles. And all the while, they're all singing this song, and they're whispering and singing and shouting and writing poetry for this future version of a redemption that is somehow going to trump all others, and it's going to be more beautiful, more magical, more wonderful as they wait for this mysterious character, the Messiah. But if you were a Jew back then, the song that you sung all the time was simply this, redemption, redemption, redemption. And the basic story, just to give you what redemption involves, here's sort of the main storylines. Israel's in a foreign land. Israel's held against their will. Israel needs to be delivered. Israel's in need of divine intervention to redeem them. As I'm hearing the stories of Teen Challenge, I'm like, there's the preachers right there. Of you're in a place you don't want to be, you're sort of almost against you. I don't want to be here, but I don't know how to get out. What you need is divine intervention to somehow step in and redeem you. That is the story of redemption. That is the story of the Bible. If you miss that story, you miss God. And that's what Israel would sing. And that's what the church is supposed to be singing. Songs of redemption. So let's just walk through the first story of redemption. Go to verse 16 and 17. This is Isaiah the prophet reminding the people once again of their story, their song of redemption. Verse 16 and 17. 
just a little tip of the hat to their Exodus story from years and years ago. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. What is Isaiah talking about? He's talking about the Exodus when they were once in a foreign land. So let's just go to the Exodus story. Israel's in a foreign land. What land are they in? They're in Egypt. How'd they get there? Through no fault of their own. Some knucklehead sold their brother into slavery. Little sweet Ozzy, the favorite of the family. They were like, we ain't having this. So they sold him into slavery. Unbeknownst to them, they were creating this new storyline of the people of God where they were going to be in bondage in Egypt, a foreign land. They're there. They're being held against their will by who? Pharaoh. Pharaoh's in charge. You will not leave this place. Let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. They need to be delivered. So God raises up a stuttering fool, Moses. You're going to deliver my people. And then they're in need of some sort of divine intervention to redeem them. How does he redeem them? Here's how he does it. Through blood and through water. The Passover and the Exodus. The Passover, the Passover is the most beautiful story. And if you actually place yourself in the story, which if you're in RC's small groups, that's one of the things you'll be doing, is sort of thinking through the Passover story, is God tells Pharaoh over and over again, let my people go. No, all right, here's the final plague. Here is my wrath coming upon you. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to swoop through town, and I'm going to kill the firstborn of everyone in this place. That would be me. That would be my wife, Aubrey. That would be my son, Elijah. Gone. To make a point to Pharaoh that I am the one who makes the rules. And Pharaoh says, no. But in the secret, he goes and tells his people, who are about to experience redemption, here's how you escape this. Take blood and put it on your door. And if there's blood on your door, I will pass over. My wrath will pass over you. And you will live. And I will take you out the next morning. I mean, just... Like, how confident was everyone as they put blood on the door? I just imagine it all the like, you walk in here, you just, you just got clean. You're clean all of one hour. And somebody tells you, the man of God, Moses, says, here's what we need. You put blood on the... Like, there's people that are confident, but most of the people are like, all right, that's what he told us to do. With every ounce of faith you can muster, like as small as maybe even a mustard seed, you put blood over the door, and in the morning you are saved from God's wrath. And God's not done. He says, now follow me. And then he takes you out into the wilderness. And now there's another barrier, namely a big body of water. And God splits it in half, and the people walk right through as if they're walking on dry land, while armies and chariots and weapons and Huge enemies come after them and they get through the water and then God, with his words, shuts it down in on the enemies and crushes the enemies of God and they stand looking back at a Passover and an Exodus. And they begin to sing the song of redemption. We are a redeemed people. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And they start singing the song. Chord one. Redemption, but that's not the only redemption. They're currently in a moment of redemption. Verse 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. 
Now Isaiah is speaking to his people in this moment through his word. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What is he talking about now as we move from the Exodus story to the story of Babylon captivity? What's the foreign land there? And they're in Babylon. God gave them a land. Part of God's promise is we sing yes and amen. God made these promises. He made this promise to this little people. I will give you this land right here. It'll be yours. And I'll bless you like crazy. And now they're out of that land under another foreign ruler who does not know or worship God the way they do. They're being held against their will. Daniel, the story of Daniel is about kidnapping young people to take off to a foreign land. What do they need? They need to be delivered. What sort of delivery? Some sort of divine intervention. And God says in this verse, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. I know you're back in the wilderness, but I've got more up my sleeve. Chapter 44, verse 28 says this, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up Cyrus, and he will be my shepherd, and he will fulfill my purpose. Now God's mode of deliverance is not blood and Passover and water. It's I'm going to raise up a foreign king, Cyrus of Persia, and he's going to demolish your enemies, Babylon. And Cyrus in Persia will release you back to where you need to be. But I'm the one who did that. Cyrus doesn't get credit for that. I did that. Why? Because I am your God and I redeem you. And I'm with you. God's people are a redeemed people. That's our song. That's what we have is redemption. Until the final redemption that the people of God were always waiting for is the Messiah. We got the next one. And now I'll just put Israel in parentheses because Israel's story was always bigger than themselves. God did not move into this earth and start to speak to a people to be uh, specifically devoted to one ethnic group. He wanted that people group to bless the nations. And now, how is the nation going to be blessed? They're waiting for a Messiah. Israel, the world is in a foreign land. What's that land? It's this broken world we live in, where Satan, sin, and death. In prayer requests for people who are in an accident, in broken and breaking marriages, and adult children who no longer talk to you, in suffering that's been done to you because of other sin, and sin that you've done and is causing havoc in your own life and the lives of others, that's the world we live in. It's not the way it should be. And what do we need? We're being held against our will. I mean, that illustration of being held by the throat, that is what sin is. It's like, it's something, I know I did this and I participated, but somehow now it's got a hold of me and I'm not the one in charge of anything. Sin has got, and that's the picture the Bible says, is he's roaring around, ready to pounce. And he's everywhere and he's got us all by the throat. We are in need of deliverance. Now, where is that deliverance going to come? What is the divine intervention that is going to redeem us from Satan, sin, and death and release us from the sin that Adam started and passed down through the ages to every one of us in this room? What are we waiting for? One of the most beautiful pictures of what Jesus Christ did is in the book of Galatians. And the Apostle Paul very clearly walks through. Here's the Messiah story. Here's our redemption story. In the same way, Meaning in the same way as the days of old. What God's people have always needed is redemption, period. Not better grades, not more success, not more money, not... What we need is redemption. 
When we were children, we were enslaved to what? To the elementary principles of the world. What does that mean? To evil and darkness. That sometimes look evil and dark, but a lot of times looks good. And we were enslaved, and we could not choose otherwise. Because we were like our father Adam. But what did God do? But when the fullness of time, it's not the Exodus anymore, it's not Babylon, it's the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, the seed of Eve, born under the law, born to the Jewish restriction and code and ethnicity that God had been promising all along. To do what? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So not everyone in here sings, and you don't have to sing to be a Christian. But the people that sing really loud, that's like in their bones. Because there was a moment where I was under the law. And I was following the principles of the air. And I had no hope. But in the fullness of time, in God's perfect timing, he set forth his son, not only into history, but into my life. And I met a person named Jesus, and he redeemed me. And now all I can do is sing because I've been redeemed. That is God's story. That's our song. We have a song of redemption. Now here's the follow-up question to God's redeeming work. Why Israel? And why all you very average people? Why did he redeem you? Here's religion's answer. Because you earned it at some point. There comes a moment where the good outweighs the bad. No one really knows where it is. And everyone's kind of crossing their fingers. But there's a moment where it's like, all right, here's the moment. I'm stepping in. Jansen, great. Redemption is yours. Josh, great. Here you go. Redemption yours. That is not what the Bible says. In fact, God says this to Israel. I love this. You don't need to turn there. It's in Deuteronomy. He says, listen up, Israel. Don't say in your heart after the Lord God has thrust them out. This is right before the Exodus story. All right, guys, here's what I know is going to happen. You're going to get on the other side of the water, and you're going to take credit for this. I know you, because I created you, and I formed you, and I know how dumb you are. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me out and to possess this land. Do not say that, God says. No, it's because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is driving them out. Not because of your righteousness or your uprightness of heart are you going in to possess this land, but because of their wickedness. Don't take credit for this. So Israel, why were you redeemed? Well, and we can't take credit. Well, why were we? Why was Israel redeemed? Why am I redeemed? Why is Chris Smith, of all people, redeemed? <laughs> Takes us to our second chord. We were redeemed because of God's love. Period. Just a reminder, verse 1, here's how God says he works. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he formed you. Fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. Now verse 4, jump to verse 4, answers the question, well, why? First word is because. Now here's God's answer. Why, why? Because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you, and I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Why did God create, form, redeem, call, and stand with Israel? God's answer, because I loved you. And you are precious in my eyes. Why did God create, form, redeem, call, and stand with each of us? Verse 4's answer, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. 
and I give men in return for you. So just a little reality for Christians, especially when we've been walking with Jesus for a while and we sort of just take the Bible at face value. Most people think this is crazy. And a big part of why is the Old Testament is full of a lot of intense stories. And there's people who would say, the God of the Old Testament is not a God I can get behind. I mean, he seems so violent and aggressive. I mean, there's just crazy stories. I just, again, this is not to go beat people ahead, but just a reminder, like this verse is in the Old Testament where most people say that God is not attractive. This is God of the Old Testament saying this, you are precious in my eyes and honor and I love you and I give men, people in exchange for your life. God sees this as precious. The word precious there means worthy and valuable. God sees this as honored. That means like a weightiness and a deep, deep respect and esteem. And then my favorite part of all these words, the word for love there is not the word I expected it to be. Because when I go to the Old Testament, I see love, I usually think hesed, like H-E-S-E-D, God's covenantal love. It's like the wedding vow love. Like those of you that are single or thinking about getting married, like you don't get married on feelings love. You get married if you do it God's way on covenant love. Like something's going to change in you for sure. I don't think I'll change all that much, but you're probably going to change. <laughs> and I'm not committing to love this person I know right now. I'm committing to any version that comes out of this body here. I'm loving that person. That's covenantal love. And that's a good love. That's a great love. That's the gospel love. But what God says here is not that love. It's the same love that can be used for flirtatious love in other areas. It's an affectionate love. So God says in verse 4, I see you as precious and you're honored and I just think the world of you. That's why I redeemed you. That is amazing. Because a lot of us, if we're honest, most of us struggle to like personalize the love of God. Even if we've spent our entire life sitting under someone teaching this pretty well. Because we can't see God. We have an earthly father who does not match up perfectly to our heavenly father. And we got all sorts of junk in our life that just makes it hard to like experience the personal love of God. I just want you to remember verse 4. You are precious and you are loved. He looks at you and he thinks the world of you. That doesn't mean he doesn't see all your sin and all your junk. But he loves you. Like, he's not frustrated. He's not, one guy on Twitter said, he's not, Jesus is not checking his phone when he's with you. Like, he's dialed in. Why? Because he loves you. Do you believe that? We all should say, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because I don't want just God's song of redemption and all that beautiful stuff. I want to know an affectionate God who is crazy about it. He loves me. God help my unbelief. And it takes us to our final chord now, which I'll call the chord of God's glory. And before I get into the verse, here's the easiest one in our day and age of religion to leave out of the song. And then we're playing a clunkier song with just two chords of God's redemption and God's love. And if we leave this one off the shelf, we miss, miss the biblical version of God. God's glory is a big word. But most people 
I'll say it this way, are okay with a God that's a God that redeems and a God that loves. But then when you bring in the fact that God is also extremely jealous and passionate about his glory, then it's like, that doesn't fit with how I think about the world. Because the spot for glory is mine. You, God, are just a means to an end to kind of make my life better, my relationships better, my whatever better, my finances better, fix all the junk I create in my life. But when you put God as the glory king, it's like, I don't want him. Like, this was perfectly illustrated to me. I was, I talk about Twitter a lot. I, get, I do a lot of, I don't tweet a lot. I just, I think it's interesting. But you got chat. AI stuff, where you can put in, like, it's extreme Google with robots behind the scenes. I don't know how robots tie, but maybe it just comes right out of the brain. But somebody tweet, went to AI and said, hey, write a worship song that could be about Jesus, or it could be a song about my boyfriend. <laughs> you hold me close. You never let me go. This is a robot speaking on behalf of humanity of a worship song slash love song that could be interchanged. You hold me close, you never let me go. In your arms, I find my strength to grow. With every step, I know you're by my side. And with you, I'll conquer every fear and tide. Chorus, sing it with me. You are my everything. You light up my way. In your love, I find my home each day. With every breath, I'll sing your praises high. You are my king. You are my reason why. Verse 2, you wipe away my tears. You heal my pain. With you, I'll never walk alone again. Your grace and mercy, they never fade. With you, I'll never be afraid. You single girls could take that and go sing it about your boyfriends. <coughs> or we could turn those into lyrics and create a worship song out of it. However, I think what it misses is the fact that God is more than just his redemption and his love. God's for his glory. <coughs> Verse 5 through 7, let's read this together. Fear not, for I am with you. I bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, why God? For my glory, whom I formed and made. Stop right there. Why did God redeem because he loves me. And he's affectionately in love with me. But here's where it gets different than, like, I love my kids a lot. But in 2009, I did not love my kids. Mainly because they did not exist. <laughs> I loved my wife, period, and my life. And then God gave me these kids to love. But as we're talking about God, he's the reason we're here. He created us. So there's something even bigger than his love for us that's the motivation behind the motivation as to why any of us are in this room right now. He does love you. Write down verse 4, put it wherever you need to see it to be reminded that you are precious and honored and he is affectionately in love with you. But make no mistake, verse 7 is also just as true. And it's the backdrop of an, all the creation story. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Why did God create us to be loved and redeemed? Because he did it for his glory. 
That's the final chord in the song of Christianity that a lot of people leave out. Because it starts to make God so big and beautiful. And he gets less and less easy to manage and sort of form into our image to use as we want. He becomes who he's supposed to be all along, the glorious king of the universe, who will not be made into a carbon image or put on your night shelf, or put in your bank account, or put in your wallet as a good luck charm. He is the creator of the universe. And all of this, you included, me included, were created for what? For his glory. What's the glory of God? I've got a long quote here. It's the beauty and excellence of his manifold perfections. It's an attempt to put into words what God is like in his magnificence and purity. It refers to an infinite and overflowing fullness of all that is good. And this term might focus on his different attributes from time to time, like his power and wisdom and mercy and justice, because each one is indeed awesome and beautiful in its magnitude and quality. But John Piper says, but in general, God's glory is the perfect harmony of all of his attributes into one infinitely beautiful and personal being. His glory is everything wonderful about it. We all experience glory on little levels all the time. Like every time I meet a grandparent, they show me what? A picture of their grandkids, their glory. Look at this pure, beautiful, wonderful child. That's mine. Every time you go to a restaurant and it blows your mind, you do not say, I'm going to store that away for me and me alone. You tell people. Why? Because it's glorious. Here's the glory my kids are chasing our house right now. There it is. <laughs> Odell Beckham. All we want to do. Jude Patton has that poster. Why? Because that is a glorious reality. A man making a freakishly good catch with one hand that none of us will ever do in that NFL moment like that. That is glorious. However, it all pales into comparison to the God who deserves all glory. Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. This is what this world was made for. To sing the glory of God. And we as the people of God, no longer Israel, us Christians, Jesus followers in the room, get to sing the chords of this beautiful song. We get to sing about redemption. We get to sing a song of personal love that the God of the universe is not a distant, deistic being. He loves me personally. Everything good about me, and he forgives everything terrible about me. He is a personal. And we get to sing a song of glory that is bigger than ours. Like I was trying to think of an image. And, like what is this church thing for? And I think it's this. We all sing this song of redemption, of God's personal love, and God's glory. And we sing it imperfectly. We sing it with our words. We sing it with our actions. We sing it with how we're singing this. This is what being a Christian is. God redeemed me. He loves me. And his glory is what matters most. It's like all my kids learning instruments. I thought I would not like it as much, but I love it. As my kids learn the trumpet or the guitar, it fills my house with noises that you can hear the song behind. And when we show up to church each week, we're all picking up our instruments, our life, and we're singing the song of redemption. That you were once a slave to whatever it was that enslaved you, and now you've been set free. And you once did not know the God of the universe. I did not know him. And now he personally loves and adores you and sees you as precious. And he's affectionately crazy about you. And more than that, he's inviting you in this wonderful story that his glory is supreme.
That's what matters most. When it's all said and done, all the other little mini stories are squashed by this. God is glorious. And he created us for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for just what the verse reminds me of. That I was created, that I was formed, that I was redeemed. That I was called by a name, and that you placed me by your side, never to walk away. And that is the story in this room for all who have called on you. You have created, you have formed, you have redeemed, you have called us by name. Now you walk with us through anything. So God, as your church, we want to lift up this song of redemption yet again. Not because it's gotten old, it's because we forget it, we tarnish it, and we find other stuff to fill our heart. To fill our hearts with the song of redemption, the song of your sweet personal love for us. And God, as your church, take our response now as one small attempt to bring you to shine more glory where glory is due, namely you. God, we love you. Please send your prayer. Amen. Yeah.